Welcome to the world's premier Black Crows podcast. State of America. Hosted by two of the band's most dedicated fans, David Hudson and Ian Rice. And now, let's get the show on the road. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the State of America podcast. I am one of your hosts, Ian Rice, and with me, as always, couldn't do it without him, Mr. David Hudson. David, how are you, sir? Oh, I think you'd be just fine, Ian. Never. I think you'd be just fine. Nobody's irreplaceable. That's not true. I won't have it. <laughs> I mean, we, can't, we can't start out with this kind of talk. I mean, you know, <laughs> you're going to start rumors here. Oh, uh, no, everything's fine. It's been a while. How are you? I'm not, I'm all right. All right. Just uh, hanging in there. It's finally gotten cold up here in the New York area, so I'm just going through that, you know. What's gotten, it's gotten to that time down here where everybody's sick, which count me among that. Fun time. Yeah, you got you got uh, knocked pretty hard. I had something similar to yours, but yours lasted far longer than mine. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it wasn't COVID, but um, yeah, it put me down for about 10 days. The problem down here is, like, it got down to, like, a low of 30 degrees one night, and then the next day it went up to 80. Yeah, and that's just, never good. And it just seesaws like that for weeks at a time. And so there's actually a really big flu outbreak down here right now. Anyway, enough about our illnesses. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, they just... Uh very recently wrapped up the uh, Shake Your Money Maker Tour. I mean, obviously, the bulk of the dates finished up at the end of the summer, but then there was the two dates in Vegas. Yeah, everybody that we know that went had a good time. I would say my only complaint from looking at the set list is like, I don't understand why everything just keeps getting shorter. 90% of that crowd flew in to Vegas, you know, to see that show. 15 songs, man, that's pretty short. It was a bit short. I mean, I thought it was kind of cool. And somebody thankfully corrected me right away. I thought that was the first time they ever played Charming Mess, which was the encore on the first night. But uh, it, in fact, was the second time. But that's that's cool that they did that. Yeah, it's cool. They broke out that. They broke out God's Got It. But 15 songs, man. And, and, and Moneymakers, what, 10 songs? Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I hope they expand the repertoire going forward. The uh, the stage setup seemed to be a little scaled back too. It didn't seem to be that whole well, setup. Unless house, I'm mistaken. I don't think the House of Blues in Las Vegas is very big. No, so they just had like a screen behind them. It looked like. And if you notice, yeah. the backup singers are on the other side of the stage. So I'm sure there yeah. wasn't that much behind Robin there. No, probably not. I mean, yeah, it was a little tighter. But you know, our good friends of the show, Rex and uh, Monica, made it down there, and they seemed to really have a good time. I think Rex ran into Rich. Like at the, star- yeah. the Starbucks or something. Yeah, yeah, wild. in the Starbucks. And I think Rich recognized you. That's pretty cool. I mean, it, you know, the guy put in the miles on that tour, you know. Well, I mean, he went to so many of those shows and did the meet and greets. So, yeah. Uh, Monica looked like she had a good time. And uh, Rex looked like he had a good time. And at least one of the Boger brothers went. Yes. Kevin, I believe, was there. Because he said he had uh, met uh, Monica and he enjoyed meeting her. I mean, how could you not? Yeah, she sent a picture like at, at lunch with our State of America shirt on. And hey, uh, our good buddy Pedro down in Brazil a few minutes ago messaged me. He got his uh, Blackberry Smoke vinyl and his State of America shirt finally. So, oh, great! He, he was uh, he was excited. We need to find a way to get Pedro up to America and hang out with him. Oh, definitely. That's kind of cool that our. Uh, I think we had some maybe in the UK too. I'm not sure, but our our shirts have gone global now. 
Yeah, we're going to do another run of a different style shirt next year at some point. I Anybody that's whether it be on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, anybody that's posted a picture of themselves wearing our shirt, I have, I've saved them and, and do something with those at some point. But I thought, I, I just think that's so cool that people want to wear our logo and, you know, and that there's a support that people still this far along give us. And that's just great, man. Yeah. It's really, really cool. And speaking of supporting our uh, buddies, Brian and Jason over at all things blues and Southern rock, Got a big interview this week with Charlie Starr, and it was about an hour and a half, I think, or a little over an hour, between an hour, hour and a half. I got to tell you, man, they they beat us with their interview with him. It was really, really, really good. Have you listened to it yet? Yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, they did a great job. I love those guys, Jason and Brian. Uh, You know, they're two of a handful of people that just had to have an open door policy with this program. And uh, I'm very excited for them because that's a big get. Yeah, it was really interesting. There was, you know, they talked about everything from like Oasis to like the Kentucky Headhunters. There's some good Black Crow stories in there, but it was just more of kind of a conversation. And uh, they talked gear a little bit. Charlie's a big gearhead, and so is Jason. And uh, yeah, it's all things blues and Southern rock. You can find them on Twitter and Instagram. They have a Facebook group. Uh, I think Brian runs the Facebook group, and Jason runs the other stuff. Get their podcast and listen to them, and 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 follow. They've had Steve Gorman on. They've had Rob Clores on. So uh, there's some definite crossover with our podcast. Yeah, and that's episode 69 for Charlie Starr. I, I mean, they really did. Honestly, I mean, I'll be perfectly frank. They did what we probably should have done with Charlie Starr. But we, we were so excited to talk Black Crows. We kind of we didn't go, you know, and we were trying to be conservative with the time we spent with him. Mm-hmm. We didn't want to get, get greedy. But, uh, you know, I'd like to speak with him again down the road and, and just, uh, you know, Hit some more Black Crows-related stuff, but also like uh, branch out a bit like they did. Well, he told me when I talked to him in Birmingham, he said, just let me know. I'll come on. Uh, he's he's such a, a great guy. Really good guy. Yeah. They're a great band. They have a Record Store Day release coming out of all Rolling Stones covers, and one of them is Sway. And he talks about in there, this is awesome. So they cut that, they cut that live to vinyl. So everything that you hear is one take, and there's no pausing between songs except, I think... The guy said you could have five seconds between songs. And so it's what, seven or eight songs, and it's all one continuous take, no redos. So that's like a live in the studio thing, like almost like Cabin Fever in a way. Well, I mean, like they had the acetate or whatever going, and it's cutting it as they record it. That's cool. You know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of, I mean, obviously the quality is far better, but that's like that booth at Third Man Records that uh, Neil Young did that album in. Like that cuts right to the vinyl. That's, that's, that to me is like pure, you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, there's very few bands I think that could pull that off, especially with songs that aren't their songs. I mean, but those guys are so tight, you know. I saw the track list. I don't remember everything offhand, but I remember some thinking that there were some out of left field ones on there too, and I mean that in the best way. Like, you know, they didn't just go for the obvious ones, you know. Yeah, I'm excited to hear Sway. That's my favorite Black Crow song. I mean, a Rolling Stone song. Does that does this mean I have to uh, stand in line for you again on Record Store Day? Uh, since I'm going to have to go and try to save some lives Friday after Thanksgiving end, yes. Well, I mean, if you put it that way, I mean, you know, I mean, you'll, right, be, fine. you'll be well compensated. Hey, I've, I've seen on uh, Twitter and stuff and Facebook, Ian Claus has visited some people. Ian Claus has visited some people, including yourself, I might add. But, uh, yeah, yeah. And, uh, I will, of course, happily, uh, wait online. The only trouble is I'll have to go two different places cause I need it for myself too. And they only let you get one at a time. But, uh, I usually, there's two places I can usually hit that I can do well. Yeah. I've got a be at work at 5 a.m. that morning. 
luckily for me, they've just switched my day off to from Saturday to Friday. So this I See, works out for me for record store day. You know, the stars are aligning. Um, Jason Isbell is going to have that cover of All Artists from Georgia album. It's got him doing Sometimes Salvation with Steve Gorman drumming on it. It's got Honeysuckle Blue by Driving and Crying, which he nails. It's got a Night Swimming and Driver 8 by R.E.M., amongst other things. I think there's an Almond Brothers song in there. If you're into him, um, that's a probably a good one to get, too. Is that a Record Store Day release? The actual physical product is, yeah. you know He released it all digitally a couple yeah. of weeks ago, but... Because, you know, I would uh, definitely pick that up. I'll be honest with you, I, I, I'm i going to have to sit with it a little bit more. I don't know how I feel about the cover of Sometime Salvation. I like it musically. The vocal kind of throws me off a little bit. But, I mean, you know, it's, it's some hard shoes to fill, you know. The drumming spot on. Yeah, that guy knows what he's doing, man. I mean, it's like Steve Gorman may have played that song. Time know, or two. Unbelievable. Let's see what else we have going on. Oh, we need some more ratings and reviews on Instagram, not Instagram, um, Apple Podcasts. Some of you have helped us out with that recently. I appreciate that. We're up to like, I think, 185 or so. We try and want to get to 200 on that, maybe before Christmas. That'll help us out greatly. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Ian is being more active on Facebook. Ian, Ian also wants us to do basically a live podcast on um, possibly Zoom one day and have people Zoom in with us. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to have do something live, you know, with a with an audience, so to speak, there, and see how that goes, and you know, have it be a little bit more raw. And David and I were also bouncing around the idea of uh, maybe doing something uh, video based, you know. So yeah, we've got ideas. We're trying to essentially clean out the vault right now, get our episodes that we have recorded out, and then get onto some fresh stuff. We've also been—I'm not going to say the name of the podcast—but we've been approached by another podcast to be their guest. Yeah, and that's I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we keep getting invited places. I, I kind of like it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're not going to spoil for who what podcast it is, but uh, I had a long, productive conversation with one of the hosts the other night, and that's going to happen, I think, what he said, in probably mid-December. So we'll definitely let everybody know about that one when it comes out. Uh, we have our trivia episode coming up. We're still going to do a tour wrap-up, and then uh, we've got some good ideas going forward. We'll get more... I think once we get through the holiday season, we'll probably get a little more, a little more of a regular schedule. That's right. That brings us to this week's episode. I had come up with this idea. Ian had come up with this idea. And then several of our listeners all had this idea too. What would it be like to have somebody on that's not a Black Crows fan, give them X number of songs to listen to, have them critique the songs, and give us their opinion on them? And that's what we did with uh, my good buddy, Steve Wright. He hosts the Potter Than Hell podcast. It is a hard rock and metal podcast. Comes out every Friday. You can find them on all the platforms. It's him and three of his buddies. They're all firefighters. I've known each other. They've known each other forever. He's a really good guy. I've gotten to know all those guys. We met at the first Rockin' Pod. They had just started theirs. I just started mine. And uh, we hit it off. We've hung out several years in a row. And so I thought Steve would actually be a great one to come on because all he knew was the first Black Crows album. So Ian and I each came up with X number of songs, but we didn't pick any songs off Shake Your Moneymaker. And it's not necessarily our favorite songs that we picked. It's just different songs from different eras, different styles to get his opinion on. Yeah, we tried to uh, keep the variety in there. I I thought it was great. I mean, I first met Steve when we went to this past Rockin' Pod. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, sweetheart of a guy. Loved having him on. He's welcome back anytime. But I, I think it worked out well. I think people enjoy it. All right, so uh, what do you say, David? Let's get over to this uh, this this great episode and let everybody enjoy. Anything else to add? That's it. 
we'll definitely see you a time or two before Christmas. Absolutely. And yes, definitely uh, enjoy your holiday seasons. Uh, uh, spend some time with your loved ones. Have a good time with that. And uh, we'll see you soon. First of all, Mr. Wright, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure and an honor to be here. Well, Steve, why don't you tell everybody about your podcast, Potter Than Hell? All right. Uh, I am the host of the Potter Than Hell podcast. I have actually three other co-hosts with me. Uh, my uh, fire department buddies, uh, BB, his actual, actual name is Ryan Bannon, and BC, who is, uh, he was my initial, it was him and I initially doing it, and uh he is his name. Actual name is Brian Chapman, and my son Dylan is our third co-host or fourth actually. But he does all our recording and editing and everything. And the thing about having him on is he gives us the the younger perspective of everything. And um, like myself, BB and BC, we're all pretty much the same age. But Dylan has that much younger perspective, and we do uh, pretty much hard rock and metal. We delve into the '70s, like classic rock and stuff like that. We get, uh, we have a couple different kind of episodes that we do. We have a couple series that we do, and um, we we just have a great time. We're over 200 episodes now. We've had uh, David on uh, many times before, and um, maybe one of these, maybe one of these days, we'll do a Black Crows episode. Well, Ian, <laughs> Ian, Ian, Ian is your guy no. for that. David always tries to, uh, you know, uh, even the scales because, you know, he's on every podcast and I've only been on like three. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Steve, so you're obviously a a hard rock and heavy metal guy. That's primarily what you listen to and what the podcast is about. Let's go back to 1990 when the Black Crow Shake Your Moneymaker came out. And as we've talked about on here, you know, those were the days that Poison and Warrant, Skid Row and Bon Jovi kind of ruled the airwaves. And you also had the emergence of hip hop. And then you had pop music like, you know, Madonna, Whitney Houston, Janet Jackson was huge then. And you had R.E.M. had risen from the the indie world and and becoming one of the bigger bands. And so was you, too. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, here comes the Black Crows. What was your first impression of them? Because there was nobody else playing that kind of music to any level of significance at that time. No, they were they were really different. Uh, I actually had a chance to go see them once they were opening for Heart at our uh, at our baseball stadium that is only twenty minutes down the road. But uh, I'm in the fire department. We had a, we had a bad fire that day. By the time we got done and wrapped up and everything like that, it was it was too late to go. And you know, I heard it was a fantastic show. And I want to say that BC actually had pizza with those guys or in the same restaurant with the Black Crows guys, like after the show. Wow. But uh, that was my only chance to to actually get to see them around here. And I, I never got to see it. But they were they were different. They were it was like, wow, what is this like totally different from everything that else was out there? I, I think I had Shake Your Moneymaker on cassette. I, I listened to the hell out of that. But the thing is, though. What you said in the beginning there, there were so many bands out then that were in my in my bang zone that 
the Black Crows for me just kind of got overlooked as as they went along because there was, you guys know, there was such a saturation of music at that time. Everybody was getting signed. Uh, grunge was just on the cusp of getting going. And then that really put the kibosh on a lot of stuff. But there was so much oversaturation of everything there, especially in the genres that I listened to. And, um, you know, a lot of a lot of bands got lost in the shuffle. What were the big bands for you at the time? Uh, I've always been a, a, a big Iron Maiden fan. At that point, uh, I, I had gotten back into Kiss. I, they kind of they were they were always my main band. Them and Van Halen. Uh, at the time, Van Halen kind of went to the to the low side for me because I'm more of a David Lee Roth guy than a Sammy Hagar guy. But like, still a lot of a lot of cool bands like White Snake were still touring. Uh, there was just everybody was out then. Well, Steve, one of the things that happened to the Crows when they came out is people didn't know what to do with them as far as like package tours and, and festivals and stuff. And very early on, they got packaged with uh, a lot of harder rock bands and did festivals. Ian, correct me where I get this wrong, did festivals in Europe with like Skid Row and Metallica. And, you know, so they got put with these bands and you would think, you know, that metal crowd would turn, you know, like the Slayer crowds are infamous for turning on people, some of the Metallica crowds. But they were so different. They were they got welcomed by the pop people, the country people, and the metal people. Quick piece of trivia, Steve, I'll ask you this. Their first tour, major tour, who did they open for? Um, I, I don't know. I mean they opened they were opening for Heart when, when they played around here. But as far as like a hard rock or metal band, they, they It's junkyard. Oh really? They opened for junkyard for a couple of weeks, wasn't it, Ian? And then the album took off yeah, and they got pulled yeah. off of there. Well, you know what? They're they're kind of a, a a weird band too in that respect. Like they have some songs that are uh, could be considered Black Crows esque. So maybe mm-hmm. maybe they were blowing them away. You know that happens. You know you hear that happening a lot. You know, you know we got thrown off the tour because we were kicking the, the the major bands. But and you hear that a lot. That may have been the case with them. I think it was that Shake Your Moneymaker started selling millions of albums, and they were like. We got to get them on the road, and um, the um, our friends at the All Things Blues and Southern Rock podcast they have a great interview with the guys from Junkyard telling a bunch of young Black Crow stories. So obviously, you know, they went on to open for ZZ Top, got kicked off that tour because Chris Robinson talked bad about corporate sponsorship, and that uh, that tour was sponsored by Miller Lite, and then they went on to play with Aerosmith, Robert Plant. So I mean, they got welcomed big time. But then they went into Southern Harmony, which was a number one album and was uh, kind of brought them to the arenas. Now, Steve, you probably don't know this either. They were actually asked to be the opening band for Guns N' Roses and Metallica tour, and they turned them down and said they wanted to go out really? on their own. Yeah, that's that's what Steve Gorman says in his book. So what we're going to do this week is it's really interesting. We've had several listeners ask us to do this, and Ian and I had actually kind of kicked this idea around too. Since Steve isn't all that familiar with the band post Shake Your Moneymaker, we thought it would be a good idea to have somebody on that's an outsider and give their honest, unbiased opinion of some songs. And so we didn't choose anything off Shake Your Moneymaker because we know Steve is, is familiar. Everybody's familiar with that album one way or the other. So like five or six million copies. And Ian and I picked some random songs. And what we tried to do was hit on different eras of the band and, Steve, after um, Southern Harmony, for the next two albums, they got into some really heady music, uh, jam band oriented, and then they, for um, By Your Side, they went back to almost like a 
hard rock slash glam band, and then lines, a lot of Zeppelin influences, and then Warpaint and um, Before the Frost were more Americana albums. So what we decided to do was just pick some songs that we like and some songs that we think shows different eras, and then Steve can tell us his ideas. Now, Steve, before we get started, you're not going to hurt our feelings. Lord knows I've railed on that band Heat that you that you like a lot on Digital Killed the Radio Star. So here's your shot to get back at me. I'm putting my chin out there. You got a you got a you got a free shot. So I pick six songs and Ian picks six songs. And uh, Ian, you want to you want to start off with the first song for him? Yeah, actually, the first song is uh, I don't know if you're aware of this, Steve, but you know amongst Black Crows fans, this is often considered to be the, uh, the their peak, the thing that encompasses like everything that they're all about, and that's from Southern Harmony. That's my morning song. <laughs> morning song it, it's i like it the it's the production is fantastic on it uh i, I love the chorus and the in the background singers it has that little like maybe gospel kind of feel mm-hmm. to it um but i i like i said before i like the production of it because it all the instruments are separated perfectly in this song uh the vocals are really good and and actually in your when you listen to it with the headphones on you can get both guitars in in both both ears when when they're playing and you could they're playing different stuff but it it, it meshes together really well uh, vocally near the end of the song really goes for it like the the like he really kind of reaches down deep and, and go comes out with that at the end um and i like i've always liked i don't know what it is you get that like that little feedback fit to end the song i've always liked that it's a good track. It's not one. It's not my favorite one up that, that we'll talk about tonight. But uh, it's it, it's not a bad start. So this is this is my favorite Black Crow song of all time. And uh, live, they stretch this out about fifteen minutes. And Steve, they 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 do the solo, and then they they do some jamming, and then they add probably two minutes of build up. Like you know, you said at the end, he really goes for it. They have about two minutes of building that up, and Chris is just kind of riffing vocally. And when he goes back in to the course it's just a, it's a thing of magic isn't it Ian? oh yeah it's absolutely uh, fantastic i mean i think it's it, you know it's got you know the ripping mark ford solo it's got it's just got a little touch of everything from every member it's almost like a quick snapshot of like hey what are the black crows all about and you can just give somebody really that one song to me and kind of will have a fair idea of what's what's what else to expect yeah, I, I liked it. I thought it was cool that, um, and actually, I, I actually wrote in my comments uh, down on one of the other songs. I like that, and as I went through these songs, I, I did get that feeling that they could really stretch out some of these songs live, and I love that. I love when bands do that, 
And um, on the one, I don't know, it's down down for the one of the live songs. I'm like, wow, this is this is what I like. All right. So the next song is there's kind of three songs that a lot of that if you even ask like Steve Gorman and and a lot of people like us, there's three songs that in my opinion, if you were to describe the Black Crows, it's my morning song. It's Thorn in My Pride, which we didn't have on here. And it's this next song. It's called Wiser Time. It's off the album Amorica from This song is one of those ones, you know, the Crows, well, on this tour they are, but for years and years and years, they never play the same set list. They may go three or four nights without playing She Talks to Angels or some of the some of those big hits, but this is one that works its way in all the time, and this is one that really gets stretched out, whether it's Ed Harsh on keys, Mark Ford, uh, Rich Robinson playing guitar, comes into a long jam and, and goes right back into it, kind of like my morning song. But this is kind of one of the quintessential, this is one of the more mellow songs. Amorica is more of a heady album. They stretch a lot of these songs out. Um, the album is recorded, in my opinion, is the production on it is excellent. There's all kind of ear candy on this one. So what are your thoughts on Wiser Time? Uh, Wiser Time, it, uh, it's got that mellower feeling to it, like you said at the start. Uh, I like the sitar, that kind of, uh, I, I always love that. And, and I do, you know, don't tell my don't tell my listeners. I do like some country stuff, mm-hmm. and I like when they get into that sitar stuff. Because growing up, uh, I was actually in the house that I'm in right now is uh, was my grandparents' house. So we used, every Saturday night they used to watch my parents go out. It was Lawrence Welk and Hee Haw. <laughs> Lawrence Welk. It was like, uh, but like Hee Haw. I mean, you had all that stuff. You had all those big country stars coming on that show, and and that was a good foundation of my music. So like that's it. Anytime I hear a sitar like that, it it, it brings me back to that. And I'm always a sucker for that. I like it. Um, there's even a little cowbell going there. Um, and you're right, David. There is a lot of ear candy in this one. Um, you know, and it, it picks up some as we go along, um, and then it heads back down. Um, the 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 what I really like this song. The drums were really smooth. I, I guess it's the only way I could really kind of describe the drums. Like they got a nice, easy, uh, smooth feel to them. The acoustic guitar solo is good. Uh, the keyboard solo is very '70s sounding. Uh, when you hear that keyboard solo, it kind of gives you that that '70s feel, and I got that through a couple different songs here. The guitar solo itself is it's 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 mellow, but it's melodic, and it totally fits the song. Um, and it builds up with both guitars, tearing it up at the end. I'm like, ooh, I'm like, I like this. I like this one. <laughs> uh, and I literally wrote down, I really like this song at the end. So um, good song. I, I like it. It's got that. It's got that build to it. It's got that. Uh, and like you said, the production, the production, I don't think the production was bad in any of these songs. Uh, whoever produces these guys, I wish some of my, my hard rock or metal bands would kind of say, Hey, this was produced by a guy named Jack Joseph Puig. And you can go look him up. He's produced 
everybody at one point i think was pretty high up in either geffen or interscope records i I can't remember he's one of these guys he's done hard rock he's done soft rock he's done everything uh you too he's worked with you too so you're it's funny that you not funny it's interesting you mentioned the keyboard playing so at the time the keyboard player was eddie harsh now eddie was a little bit older than these guys he came in right after they got through making shake your money maker and if you ask anybody in the band today, now this is a band that has shared the stage with Jimmy Page, with Robert Plant, pretty much, you know, anybody they've at least played with them. They will tell you to a T that Ed Harsh is the greatest musician they've ever played with. And that when he showed up, it elevated the band. And his playing is as big of a deal to Black Crows fans as Mark Ford's guitar playing, as Chris is singing, Rich's playing. Eddie Harsh is bless his heart he's he's he died a few years ago and is sorely missed but he adds so much to songs like this he absolutely does i mean this is really this is like the ultimate road song really and and it's kind of one of the more epic songs in their catalog as is the the next song on the list which is considered uh, you know an ultimate guitar epic by a lot it's from uh, the three snakes and one charm album in 96 and that's a uh, girl from a pawn shop <laughs> you think of this one girl from a pawn shop uh, i i like how I, I like some of these songs how they they start out mellow and then they 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 ramp up and, and that's a, a a favorite thing of mine in, in any genre of music um it's got the mellow starts you got some little sitar in this one as well which you know boom i'm in and the, the organ uh very melancholy feel to this song in the beginning there um another one that goes up and down it's got a little more gospel type background vocals in this one you could you could get that feel in there too Great heartfelt guitar solo. Uh, it tears it up, but then the solo is fantastic. But the background vocals are, are are really good in this song. It really really gets me. I like this one. Now, when when I when we do uh, songs and albums on our on our podcast, which we we do a lot, we've had Dave on doing some. When I do the songs, I always put a star next to the ones I like, and uh, I'll show you the stars at the end. Okay. <laughs> oh, interesting. But spoiler: this one gets one. <laughs> I, I mean, I always thought this was this was a great, great tune. I, I kind of came around to it a little later, believe it or not. Like, I was a big fan of the album when it came out and, and listened to it a lot. But this one kind of wasn't my favorite on the album for a long time. But now it's it's almost like an indispensable part of their 
catalog to me. You, you're a particularly big fan of this one, right, David? Oh yeah, the the guitar solo, especially you know Mark Ford's solos through about half the song. If you were to see them live when he was in the band, this was just otherworldly. And I'll quote Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke: "Mark Ford doesn't play a lot of notes, but the notes he plays, he makes matter." And uh, this is a favorite amongst Americans. It's one of the more heartfelt songs that they're gonna that they're gonna sing. And you're right, the backing vocals are great. The Black Crows are great for picking their spots with the backup singers. And the backup singers are a very integral part of their live show. We've had Charity and Mona on, who were who were with them for years. Mona has literally played with everybody. Bob Dylan, Michael Jackson, Bruce Springsteen. Um, and she talks about how, in some of those live shows, she said the band levitated. She said, we hit a, we'd hit a peak, and it was like none of us were standing on the stage. So... They contribute greatly to it. I'm glad you like that, Steve. I, I didn't want to have to slap you next time I saw you. All right. So, Steve, in, in 1998, the Crows found themselves in kind of a kind of weird position because all through the night, once Southern Harmony came out, like we said, they, you know, they don't change. They change their set list up every night. They play these cool, tasteful covers. They play a lot of songs that are unreleased. They play a lot of songs they still haven't officially released yet. And just really got into the jam band circuit, you know, and did the Horde Festival and, and all these tours. And um, a lot of people say 96, 97, the live version of the band was the best version of the band. I'm a 05, 06 guy. I think it slightly edges that. But they found them, they, they got off that tour and they came back and recorded an album called Band, which wasn't officially released for another seven or eight years. And still it's, I guess technically it's officially released. It's still kind of like an album they put out there. And the record company didn't like it. And Steve Gorman of the Black Crow says it's the best that he thinks it's their, you know, the peak of their creativity and playing. But anyway, so they find themselves without a record deal. And this was Sony, right? Yeah. They signed with Sony and Sony basically wanted Shake Your Money Maker Part 2. And they hired Kevin Shirley to produce. And he's done a lot of hard rock and metal stuff. And so what happened was they had to kind of stylistically change because... They were going to have to have some more straight-ahead rock songs, a little more conventional than what they'd been doing. And and Mark Ford left the band. Johnny Colt left the band, who was the bass player. He went on to play in Train and Leonard Skinner for a long time. So they have a, a new bass player, and they brought in Audley Freed on guitar. You may remember Cry of Love. Did you remember them? I've heard the name. I've heard the name, but the, I, I'm the, not They were kind of a now. southern rock, hard rock band. Anyway, Audley Freed is like a he's like a gunslinger. Um for he's been Cheryl Crow and the Dixie Chicks guitar player forever. Anyway, so they have to record this album that's a little more in touch with Shake Your Money Maker than than the previous three albums. But there's a song on the end that I think most people think could fit on any album they've ever done, and that's called Virtue and Vice. It's the last song on that album, 1998's By Your Side. <laughs> So say another prayer 
All right, so you said Kevin Shirley produced this album, correct? Uh-huh. Yes. Okay, and he's been Iron Maiden's producer for the last 15 years, easily. Mm-hmm. And um, I was like, this is more of an up-tempo rock song for these guys, of the, the ones that you gave mm-hmm. me. And, and now now I could see that. I could I could hear his production in this. That, that's so weird that you... The, that he's the, the producer on this uh, like more up tempo well, more of a rock song like I said there's some heavy riffs in this song there there really are and and there's a couple songs throughout here too that it's not the main riff of the song but it may be the riff underneath the solo it may be the riff during the chorus where it you know shoots back down and and I like that but there's like some heavy riffs and this song definitely has a heavy riff on it and the solo is very melodic on this one I, I like the guitar playing on this one and uh, I like the piano at the end. The piano kind of stands out at the end for me. I, I like when they throw something in there, and, and like the piano in this song, for the heaviness of it that it that it was compared to the other things. The piano was kind of a little bit of a surprise for me at the end, but I thought it was really cool. I, I liked it. It's another, it's a going. It's funny you mentioned the uh, the guitar solo and the guitar playing on this one because this album is is largely notable for uh, Rich Robinson playing all guitars on it because they didn't really have a full time lead guitar player at that time. Aldi Freed was joined them on the tour for the album and stuck with them for a few years. But yeah, so that's all Rich Robinson. And it, it's, it was interesting to see him step more into a lead role because he wasn't uh, primarily known as a lead guitar player at that point. Yeah, it was, it, you could definitely, you listen to the, Ian and I were actually listening to this song after we got through leaving, uh, what was that place? Big Bad Breakfast in Nashville. Uh, we were yeah. listening to this and we were talking about how you can tell it's a Rich solo. And, and Rich is obviously known for, he he uses so many different tunings every show. Like his guitar tech gets worked out more than than anybody else, and he's more of a ri- great riff writer and and great melody writer. But I think he's a good s- solos pretty well. You know, Mark Ford has said in interviews he's had to push Rich. Like you need to, you need to solo more. You need to solo more. So that leads us to the next song. Why don't you tell him what it is, Ian? The next song comes from the album that followed by your side. It came out in two thousand one. The band was kind of in an odd place at the time, and they would subsequently take a uh, uh, about two, three-year hiatus from uh, performing together. It was the first major split that they had. And that was the Lions album, but this is probably the standout track for me, and it's called Cypress Trail. <laughs> Cypress Tree. This is another one of those uh, good building songs that I that I found on on the the list here. And and there's a this is another song. There's a really really heavy riff 
for the chorus. And it's, it's not the main riff of the song. It's for, for the chorus, uh, like underneath it. Um, the drum sound is fantastic on this one. I don't know, have they had the same drummer through all these albums, or, or do they have someone that's in and out? But Steve Gorman has drummed on every every studio album, and up until this tour, he's he was a founding member and was a drummer. But he's not he's not with them on this tour. Okay, excellent drum sound on on the production on this one, and, and this one another one. It has uh, that uh, like the honky tonk piano in it, and and I I like bands when they they'll throw different elements in a song. It's not just it's not just guitar oriented. It's not just uh, you know. It's not just piano. It's not just a, a slide of guitar or harmonica. Like you get the the different elements in these songs, and and I like the I like the honky tonk in this one. I it, it brings a brings like a little extra little zest to it to the song. So this was the album that they recorded coming off of uh, the tour with Jimmy Page, and if I was going to re- knowing your taste, Steve, if I was going to recommend a Black Crow's album, Latter Day for you. It's this one. There is a lot of Led Zeppelin influence on it. The opening song, Midnight from the Inside Out, one of the heaviest songs they've ever done. A lot of diehard fans poo-poo on this album. Uh, Ian and I are kind of in the minority. For the most part, I like most of these songs. And I always say there's four songs you can throw off of it and put the B-sides on it. And you have a completely different album. Cypress Tree, I love. And I love how it starts off with the acoustic guitar slightly in the mix with what Rich is playing with the electric guitar. And I guess, Ian, Rich did all the guitar on this one as well, didn't he? Did did Audley play anything on it? I think Audley played on a couple of tracks on the album, um, but not this one. This is all Rich, everything. And, and this isn't the one that Craig Ross was on from Lenny Kravitz. That was Greasy Grass River, right? Right. Right, okay. All right, so the next song, Steve, we told you, one of the great things about the Black Crows is they probably have three or four albums of material recorded that they've never released. And we're hoping to get a, them to open the vaults up soon. So uh, this song, Exit. Now, this was a song recorded while they were on tour in 92 for Southern Harmony at Daniel Lenoir's studio in New Orleans. It's kind of the holy grail to get to see this live because it was sparsely played uh, during the, with the original form, uh, formation of the band. And then it got brought out some in 05, 06 and got brought out some in... 2000, the 2010 tour like we said this is the one that people won't release uh and you know properly mastered but if you got this this was a big deal to get to see this because it didn't get played very often it's kind of a heavier song it's got a tremendous groove to it this is a live version because there's not a the studio version is is a bootleg and so i couldn't figure out how to send that to you on spotify so this is a latter-day version of the band with Luther Dickinson on guitar, but uh, the song is called Exit.
Have you guys ever seen this one live? Yes, at one time. I have not been uh, so lucky. Oh, so Dave has and Ian hasn't. Well, I, I hope I hope you do, Ian, because this is a good one. Um, and, and like Dave said, I love the groove at the start. It's got groove all day long. The lead guitar, the, the fills at the beginning are fantastic. It's got a very uh, heavy, like Hammond organ, deep purple type feel to the organ sound down there. The lead work is fantastic throughout the song. There's a lot of a lot of little tasty licks in there if you want to, you know, if you will. Uh, the the band really rocks under the soloing on this one though. They are just uh, a machine. And it reminds me of when Slash and uh, featuring Miles Kennedy and the Conspirators. I always have to say that because those guys deserve a ton of credit. When they do the song Anastasia and uh, Slash just goes insane soloing, this, the Black Crow's band itself, remind me of that underneath the soloing in this song that is fantastic. The, the wah pedal solo is fantastic in there. I, I do like. Uh, how and I said before, like this, they stretch this out, and I, I I love it. I love when bands do that. There's a slash version of them doing Rocket Queens like 17 minutes long. I love every second of it. Mm-hmm. And if they if this was stretched out even like five more minutes, I would be like I would be all in. That's that's so interesting that you mentioned the uh, the deep purple type of sound with the with the keyboards. I never made that connection, but you're absolutely right. It's that kind of organ guitar tandem that deep purple that the, the mock Two Deep Purple was known for. What was that? It was Richie Blackmore and, uh, Richie Blackmore and uh, John Lord. Yeah. John Lord, right, of course. And uh, yeah, that's that's great. I never put that together, but that's spot on. Absolutely. It is It is a fantastic song. Uh, the studio version uh, that circles around on the bootlegs is is really good. But this, this version with Luther Dickinson is really nice, too. All right, so that is the end of my picks. And now we're going to start with Ian's picks. Yeah, actually, the, the, the first song I picked... Also comes from that 1996 Three Snakes and One Charm album, the the studio version. But I picked the the live version. David and I have talked about this for, before on a previous episode. But I think that this is the ultimate version of this song because of the way they do it and the 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 energy that's in it. And that is from the 2005 run at the Fillmore, released in 2006 on the Freakin' Roll into the Fog, and that is uh, only halfway to everywhere. you feel about this one Steve I'm really interested to know your take on this um this one I uh very first thing I wrote down was wow is this an Ike and Tina Turner song <laughs> um 
you got the funky guitar, you got the horn section, you got the you got the female singer, you got uh, Chris Robinson singing there, and like, are, are, is there like twenty people singing on this song? It seems <laughs> like 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 they grab people from the audience and brought them up on stage to sing. It seems to seem like there's a ton of people on this song. The guitar soloing is very cool. Uh, the middle part is is I, I like the middle part too. It's got the with the organ and the funky guitar and the mix on it is very cool. Uh, I like how they sound live, um, and I love this song at the same time. Uh, I, I don't know why if it's the, the Ike and Tina Turner parts that I that I don't like, but the musically uh, music stuff I really like, and and the guitar tears it up at the end. Uh, so you said this is the, is this is like the same show as as Exit? Is that what that's from? Is that this like is the same like show? this is like five years beforehand. Oh, okay, but I I like I said I like and I hate this song at the same time. Musically, <laughs> I I love it. The the Ike and Tina Turner, you know, for me like that feel is is kind of kind of kills it a little bit for me. But um, you know, I I, I like it. The, the guitar is really good in it, and uh, it, it, I mean, it definitely does have that like. 100 people on stage feel for me like singing so this is one of the songs that charity and mona who were the backup singers say that was their favorite one to sing and you can see why they really get to you know go off on it and it's also one of the songs where they said they felt like they were levitating at times they extend this one out they have the horn section to it which adds a lot to it this was the opening song on the show and uh it's kind of a personal favorite of mine yeah it's it's an excellent one they just so you know steve to the the main portion of it that differs from the studio version is when they go into that breakdown where it's just the drums and bass for a minute. And then they kind of build with the repetitive uh, lyrical line. And then it goes into the jam through to the end. So that would be the difference. But I think that really ups the ante with the song. That's always been my opinion. All right, Steve. So the next song is she gave good sunflower. That is off Amorica, which was a little bit more of a mellow album. This is a perfect one of the my favorites of them. It's a great one to sit on the back porch and, and listen to. It's easy going. It's relaxing. What are your thoughts on it? Uh, she gives good sunflower. What um, what's what sunflower are you familiar for? So I'm just just wondering. I think you can. I think you can probably. I think you can probably uh, come to your well, own conclusions on that. Well, well, whatever it is, I've never heard it called that. So uh, maybe I have to use it down the road somewhere, and then they'll be like, "What? Yeah." Okay, so just listen to the Black Hole song. All right. Uh, it, it is. It's got a once it once it gets going, it's got a good groove. It's uh, one of those uh, kind of driving type songs for me that you could just kind of put on and, and just kind of go to. Uh, the keyboards are good, and, and once again, the drums are, are are fantastic and stand out on the song for me. 
Um, the cool wah pedal solo is is really good. I like the build up after the end. The outro solo is excellent, but there's one part in there towards the end that has uh, there's a keyboard part. It's it's very it's a very brief part in there, but it reminds me of the Doors. It gets that keyboard part gets a little Doorsy for me, which which I think is cool. But it was like totally unexpected, and it took me a couple of listens, and I'm like, I'm like, what does that remind me of? And it, and like that part of the song, and it's, and it's very brief towards the end of the song, and it it has a, a Doors feel to it for me. But I, I I don't I don't dislike this one at all. I, I think it's it's cool. It's 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 got a good like a really good feel to it. This is another one of those songs that I kind of came to on the album later, and it's become one of my later day favorites i i did manage to get this in concert a couple of times and i felt very pleased with that it was one of those as david kind of termed before the the, the grail songs you know the ones you hope to hear at some point in your <laughs> concert going experiences with the black crows but you're big on this one too right david love it nothing wrong with it the next one comes from my personal favorite black crows record um, a much darker record came out in 96 it's a record that largely sounds like, I mean, the easiest way to term it would be a drug record. A lot of things are very dark, very, uh, you know, somber. Um, and this song in particular uh, has those qualities to it, and that's Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar, that's a that's a name I haven't heard in a long time. It's his Bible yes. school, I think. <laughs> I I like the I like the descending riff in it. The like I I do like that. It's, it's got a cool feel to it. It's very very swampy feeling to me. It's got that like like really swampy sound to it that I that I really like. Um, I don't like the high oohs that in that for some reason that that kind of that part is the only part of the song that gets under my skin. I love the the vocal cadence. In the verses, I, I like how he sings. I like the I like the feel. It's really good. Um, I love the uh, it's like a kind of like a fuzzed out solo. I think you would call it maybe. And and I like the the end. It's got like a comeback to it. It kind of builds back at the end. And I, I really like that about it too. It's funny you mentioned you know the f- a fuzz as the guitar solo. Uh, Mr. Mark Ford, uh, if he heard that, would be very happy because he that's how he describes his guitar tone. I mean, he has a oh, right. an album and a band uh, called the Fuzz Machine, and you know, so that's great. That's perfect summation of that. But uh, yeah, always a big favorite of mine, I, and I, I'm reasonably certain yours too, David. This is one that the podcast has helped me become a bigger fan of. I mean, it's nowhere near my favorites. It's nowhere near my favorite songs on that album, but um, I don't mind it. Um, is that right? I always remembered it differently. I always remembered it that it was a favorite. I didn't realize it, this. Uh, no, it, we brought it, you around to it when we. I think when we did that, that first podcast on Digital Killed, wasn't as as big of a fan of it, but it, it has. Uh, I have come around on it. All right, the next song is off 1992's 
Southern Harmony. This is one of the, probably the heaviest hard rocking songs in their catalog. And Steve, when we get done with this, go to YouTube and watch MTV 1993 Spring Break, just the first song. They play this. They play it with an intensity. I don't know if I've ever seen a, another band play any song. And the guy that introduced them is a name who should not be spoken on this podcast. And they're right in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I don't care how many balls he bangs his head at. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 We're just this little podcast. Yeah, how about that? How yeah. About that? Anyway, <laughs> um, it is one of the most intense performances that I don't know how Steve Gorman's drum kit held up through the song. I mean, he beat that snare to death and back. Anyway, the song is called No Speak, No Slave. As somebody that I know loves hard rock and heavy metal stuff, I got to think this kind of spoke to you. Yeah, it did. And and uh, once again, you get that that swampy start to it that I think is a, a I, I love that. I'm always a sucker for that. Um, the main riff is excellent. Uh, the the bass stands out in this this song to me. It, it really does. And I literally have written down heavy for these guys. Uh, very heavy for these guys. I was like, ooh, wow, you you, you got me at the. <laughs> at the end of the list here all right yeah uh, once again another another fuzzy type solo uh absolutely tears it up i i love the i love the wah pedal stuff and people may shoot me or whatever i am not a huge hendrix fan but his use of the wah pedal and like on here I, I i love i love that wah pedal stuff absolutely fantastic and once again the the really stand out for me is the band underneath the solo i mean the solo is absolutely fantastic but I love when you, you get a great feel for the band and they are just a chugging machine underneath the, the soloing. And, and that, that's a benchmark for me for a great band that, the, you know, that you notice how good the band is underneath that guy that is kicking ass, uh, ripping it up on the guitar. And you, you just kind of like, ooh, well, wait a minute, he's, he's really good. But like, these, guys are, these guys are killing it here. You, 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 I love that about it. Um, ramps up at the end. Um, fantastic. I mean, you're absolutely right about that, though. It's like you can't build a good house unless you have a decent foundation. So it's always it's important to see how the band is kind of interacting with each other and supporting each other. I mean, you know, to, for him to be able to have something solid to play that solo over. You're absolutely right. It, you might be interested to know, too, that because uh, 
you've mentioned the production and quality of of this southern harmony record the, the second record and it was actually recorded in eight days really yeah yeah it was like uh you know in and out let's get it out you know just came yeah, off the road yeah well that would be like no digital stuff at the time either right that'd just be all all tape back, back yeah. then so i mean eight days that's that's crazy so the next song uh, i picked i picked because we had kind of largely avoided this album uh in picking tracks this is, as David had mentioned earlier, the War Paint album and the Before the Frost Until the Freeze album were more Americana-based type of albums, and uh, so like the, uh, the the heavier rock stuff was a little more absent. But I always felt that this track ranks right up there with some of their best riff-based rock stuff, and that's been a long time waiting on love. <laughs> I do. I like the pace of this one. Once it gets going, once again, that the, the vocal cadence and the in the verses is really really good. Then you get that you get the like the mellow little background vocals in there. Uh, once again, the organ kind of stands out there. And, and for some reason, I I don't know what it is. There's parts of the song that remind me of Cheryl Crow's "Soak Up the Sun." I don't know what it is. There's a couple little parts in there. I don't know if it's a, a little melody part or whatever. And and I get that in my head i don't know maybe it's the bongos that are in there i i don't know um but i do get that kind of feel for it and and i'm not saying that's a bad thing either i do like that song the organ sound the solo are are really good the keyboard solo is good and uh this this could be stretched out to like 20 minutes live this definitely has that that feel to it uh it's the first song i think tonight that we talked about um you got a really cool harmonica solo there very cool i i love that um Blows Vince Neal's away, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but very cool. Uh, great guitar soloing, too. Uh, just tearing it up. And I, I love the, the – and once again, I, I, I can't state it enough. The, the band underneath the, the featured person, whether it be the, the harmonica solo, the, the keyboard solo, the guitar solo, the band underneath is absolutely killing it. And like I said, I, I could see the song be 20 minutes long, and I would be like, that was – kick ass and I, I i love how it ends it's just a real good one just as a frame of reference for you because you can hear the crowd at the end of the song so obviously it was performed yeah. live but this was a kind of uh it was recorded at leave on helm studios so it's like a a live setting but in a studio it's kind of like the best of both worlds so they recorded it before a small audience but it is in leave on helms the barn you know yeah up in- you know i, I kind of denote that because it starts out and it sounds like it's a studio track but right. then at the end you get that clapping, and I'm like, wait a minute, because like, so, like you don't, 
hear that at all until the very end. So what they did was they, they went to Woodstock, New York, and on Friday and Saturday nights, you could go and you had to leave your cell phones and, and all recording devices outside. And these were songs that were brand new songs that were nobody had ever heard. And you went and listened to them play them and they recorded them. And they did two albums worth of material and they released it as one album at first. The second album was more country folk type music. And uh, they eventually released them both together. So this was like a very interesting concept. So these people are, are hearing these songs for the first time. They the first time they've ever been played live, and they just recorded the whole thing live. That's that's crazy because you know we live an hour from Woodstock. Mm-hmm. So if I would, I mean, I I I could have I could have been there. It's literally hop in the car and you blink and you're there. And it's and it's interesting too. It was at a, a period of time that you know, uh, in retrospect, you know, you find out might have been a a little bit of a darker time for the band. But they really kind of all came together behind the idea because there's a little. A film they released uh, called Cabin Fever that kind of documents the whole process, and they all were really excited to be there with Levon and recording in his place, and the the kind of fresh concept of you know recording in a studio but in front of people at the same time and introducing them to new songs they never heard before and getting their genuine reactions to them. It, it was a really cool overall concept for an album, I think. Uh, definitely an underrated album in their catalog. All right, so this brings us to the last song. Now, Ian and I told you that the, the album Lions is uh, much maligned by a lot of people. Ian and I actually like it. Our first ever album review on State of America was on Lions. And I told you also there's four songs on there that I would throw out. And if you threw them out... This is one of them. And put the B-sides on there, uh, you would have a much better album. So, with that said, you probably know where I land on this one. Young man, old man. Turn it over to you, Steve. Young man, old man. Okay, uh, starts out with that. You get that singing intro. You got a little talk box going in the beginning there too. Um, I literally wrote down funk time. Uh, this has a a James Brown vocal feel to me. The way he sings this, like I don't know if he's uh, channeling James Brown or what. Uh, you have the the harmonica accents it a little bit going on there. Heavy riff towards the end. The drums are fantastic. The, the one thing that this song, for me, I wish that the the bass was more up front. It, it sounds really good. He's doing some good walks and stuff. But it's kind of, it's the only, actually the only production problem I've had with any of these songs. Like, I wish that the bass was, like, more up in the mix on this one. And at the end, I get that, I get that deep purple again. 
Um, you know the song Child in Time? You get that. Da, 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 da. Uh-huh. You have that that little plinky John Lord Deep Purple thing right right near the end of the song there. The, the vocal echoes are, are very cool in it. Not 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 terrible. I intentionally picked this song because I knew David didn't like it, and I did. I knew it would be a point of contention between us, so I wanted to see where you'd fall on breaking the tie on this one. You know what I mean? It, it is one of the songs that did not get a star. Well, ah. <laughs> it was. Uh, it I, I didn't. It wouldn't be a skipper for me. It, it's just. It wasn't one of my favorites, but it was. It's not a skipper. That's kind of how it is amongst the Black Crows community too. Either people really like it or really don't like it, and that's so it's always fallen that way. Yeah, this is. I, I really think you would like um, the majority of this album, Lion. Definitely a uh, Jimmy Page. Definitely in, influenced Rich's guitar playing and, and writing on this album. There's a song on there called Lickin' that has. It's one of Rich Robinson's coolest guitar moments, but the lyrics are just abysmal. Girl, like a mule, I'm kicking. You're gonna catch a lickin'. It like it. It just sounds like something they that they don't do. Like a bad jackal song. It, that, you know, David, if Chris Robinson hears this, he's not going to come on here. Are you talking like this? <laughs> I love the guy. He's one of my favorite front men of all time. He's guy's got more soul than anybody. I just, I, it's okay if I don't like some of the lyrics, Ian. It um, is. You're entitled to your opinion, and it's just, it's perfectly valid. Um, I was just teasing you. But, uh, well, Steve, I think you did a really good job on this, and there were some songs I picked that I thought you might not like. And the only one you re- you didn't really poo-poo it on all that much was Young Man, Old Man. So, first of all, what are your star songs? Okay, and, and let, let me just give you my methodology of when someone gives me a playlist of stuff that I have I've not heard. I have not heard any of these songs before okay. ever until you sent me this playlist. And I purposely did not bring it up to either one of you guys when we, we were talking at Rock and Pod because I wanted to, everything to be fresh. And if, if you even ask me, what are you thinking? I would say I'm not saying anything. <laughs> um, what, what I do is I when I'm off on a Sunday morning, I'll, I'll get up, I go out on my front porch, I get my uh, I'm not a coffee drinker, so I get my my iced tea in the morning. I get out there, I sit, and I put it on. I don't take any notes or anything, and I just absorb it, and I just listen to it, and I do that maybe three or four times, and then like maybe uh, maybe after five or six listens, actually through, I'll throw it on in the car on the way home, or if I'm driving down the highway or something like that, and just just to get a feel for these songs. And I think a lot of times when you when you do stuff like this, you get a better feel for a lot of stuff, especially like this when you're driving your car. If you're just on the highway and you're going and you're just like you're you're not talking, you're just kind of, you know, feeling the music driving along. I, I think that is a, a fantastic way to to absorb music when you're when you're going, you're not worrying about anything, you have a longer drive. And and that's what I do. And then like I said, after five, six times, then I'll, I'll get down and I'll and I'll make my notes on the songs. As I'm listening to them, I'm, I'm thinking of, okay, I like this, I like that. Uh, but then when I actually put them down on paper, um, that's that was my methodology for doing them. Um, just talking here. Um, songs that got the start for me. Uh, Wiser Time, really good. I like that one. Girl from a Pawn Shop, I like that one. But Vice and Virtue, excellent. Exit got two stars. Wow. She Gives Good fun, Sunflower, that got a star. Nebuchadnezzar got a star. No Speak, No Slave got a star. And Been a Long Time Waiting on Love got two stars as well. Wow. Oh, so nice. I really like the, the stretched out ones. I, I love that stuff. People are like, oh, I just want to hear how it sounds on the album. No. Like, if you want it, how it sounds on the album, stay home and listen to the album. Yeah. It, that's and, and I'm a live guy. Um, we talk about it on our podcast a lot. 
We love live music. I, I want to see. I want to see something different. I don't want to see a band play something note for note. I want you to stretch it out, throw a different solo in there. I mean, there, there's songs of certain bands you hear a solo you, to be that that it is on the album. I understand that, but the majority of music out there, uh, whether it be Black Crows or Kiss or Iron Maiden or Leonard Skinner, you you have those songs that the solos need to be what they are. But then they have those songs that you could just like go crazy and, and, and change it up. And I, I like that these songs lend themselves to, to being stretched out live. I, I would absolutely agree. You're 100% right. The, the point of seeing live music is to to hear those songs in a different context and see what the band does with them after they've lived with them for a while. And that's really the cool part of taking in a live show. Otherwise, like you said, you could just stay home and listen to the record. But my big question to you would be, after doing this and listening to these songs, do you think you will revisit some of these songs your own listening time or i will and actually a lot of times when we do a we can do a playlist we just did one we did had uh like sunny putting air martell on and it was it was a marathon we split it into two episodes and i was just and a lot of songs i love on there i just deleted that playlist off my phone when we got done with that because i'm like been there done that but with these songs this this playlist will stay on my phone and and actually it um I honestly, I, I will be. I'll, I'll check out some more, some other songs too, because um, I, I, I honestly did not know what to expect. Because the only thing I really knew was "Shake Your Money Maker," and I'm like, I and, and I know that they didn't stay that way. That they kind of did different stuff. But uh, you know, there's just so much other stuff out there at the time. They just kind of got lost in my in my view of, of bands. But I, I will definitely be checking out other other stuff from these guys because I, I, I like, especially the live stuff. Because if they have a lot of songs that that they could stretch out. Uh, I I like that. I, I would I would absolutely check that out. David, we got another one. We did it. Hook in the mouth. <laughs> Hook in the mouth. Um, well, Steve, before we go, why don't you tell everybody where they can find your podcast on social media and and yeah, you can you can find us. Uh, we're on Facebook. We are on Twitter, and all of the pretty much most of the uh, podcast platforms out there. You know, iTunes and Amazon and uh, you know Google. Pretty much, if you're listening to uh, Dave and Ian here, you can you can catch our podcast. Uh, give us a shot. And and the thing that that I, I always say about our podcast is it it doesn't matter. The, the material for me is is secondary. Uh, it's the the camaraderie because we all record together in the same room. And like I wish there was a way where we could do it like when when Howard Stern used to record, where you could see everybody when they're doing this because. Dylan will bring up someone like Weezer, and I'll be like, "Like, come on!" Uh, and, and, and like, and the Beast is like, "I wish they could see your face whenever he does stuff like that." And, and like, there's there's so many times where someone's talking about something that they like, and like you personally hate, and we're like flipping them off, and you know, go to punch each other, stuff like that. And and it's and it's it's the camaraderie, and we we have a great rapport with one another. We've been friends forever, and obviously Dylan's been you know with me since he was born. And 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 the funny thing is with Dylan too. His influences are a lot of mine, but then he, some of his stuff is like crap I would never listen to, and and I think that brings a flavor to like the, that younger view of of what we're talking about. But uh, so check us out, Potter Than Hell podcast, and um, we have had Dave on several times, and uh, Ian, like I said, I hope we can grab you on one of these. Like I said, now maybe I'll maybe I'll think about doing a. a Black Crows episode. We'll, well maybe a, Ian is some, a Ian is a Van Halen nut. That's right. So he, I wish I would have known that we did the the January we did two uh two years in a row. Uh, we did the one year 
before Eddie passed away. I mean, obviously, we didn't know he was going to pass away. We did a, a full month of shows with that, and then we were going to shelve it for, and then do it like a year down the road. And then when he passed away, we're like, you know, let's 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 do them now. So we we did like two years of that, uh, the Vanuary, or as Dylan calls it, Jan Halen episodes. <laughs> I'll be there next time if you'll have me. So now, absolutely. Now, Ian, I got to tell you, they had me on one time, and we were doing our top seven Metallica songs, and we weren't doing it over video like we are now. The cameras were turned off. <laughs> and Steve mentioned he's not a big fan of the Master of Puppets album. And I let out an audible like that. And Steve's like, who did that? Who did it? Who just made I'm a like, gas? Was that a gas? Yeah. Um, all right, Steve. So we have a tradition on our show that the guest gets to pick a playout song. So which one of these songs would you like for us to play out with? And Ian will find a smoking live version to, to play it out with. I would pick one of my double star songs, but um, they're already live and they're already stretched out. Okay. So let's go with let's go with Wiser Time. I think I think there would be a, a smoking live version of that one. <laughs> oh, there's a million of so. them. <laughs> yeah, I got my work cut out for me here, but definitely I will pick you out a nice nice live version of that. Excellent. Well, Steve, as always, my friend, it's always good to chat with you. Uh, you can come on here whenever you want, just like you can my other podcast. Uh, we'll tell everybody to follow Potter Than Hell. You can follow them on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're on Facebook. You can find them anywhere you listen to a podcast. Give my regards to the crew. And, I will. Uh, hope to see you guys next year in Nashville. All right. Our thanks to Steve Wright for coming on. Stay tall, everybody.
just that one.